Welcome back, everyone, to the House of Hustle podcast on Sports Radio 810. We are presented by Charlie Hustle. I am your host, Jarrett Sutton. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Stephen St. John. Stephen, we got some some coverage here of the NBA draft to, to, to catch up on today. We'll dive into uh, what's ahead after the uh, the NBA draft. So much goes on after the draft of free agency and summer league. Uh, we got a lot to cover here this, this week on the podcast. How are we doing? We're doing pretty well, uh, but uh, as you mentioned, Charlie Hustle is our wonderful sponsor. You can go to charliehustle.com to see all of their wares. And I'm at charliehustle.com right now. We've got to stop by Charlie Hustle because I need to get my hands on this shirt. George Brett for president, 1980. Look at this beautiful shirt. Look at that face. George Brett's wearing it, and this that's the George. They used to have the bumper stickers. George Brett was so popular back when he was uh, on his chase 80s George for 400. Yep. And that yeah that's the that's the George on the t-shirt that my mother fell in love with. So I would like to wear the George Brett for president t-shirt that George wears. If he wears it, I'll wear it. Charlie Hustle has it. And so let's get our hands on it's, that. It's time to, we, it's been long overdue. We got to get back to the the Charlie Hustle location. That's exactly right. and say hello. That's exactly right. See what their uh, what their new gear is. Absolutely. And so we we got lots of stuff to talk about. But it was an exciting night for several local products in the NBA draft. And so let's let's get into that. And, of course, uh, you being a uh, scout for the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, you uh, put a lot of work in. And so now I'm sure that uh, you're glad that uh, the draft is, is gone and so you can move on and move forward. We'll talk a little bit later on what uh, about what's next for you. But let's talk about some of the local products that were drafted. Grady Dick goes number 13 to the Toronto Raptors, and he wears a ruby red suit. How about that? Which uh, which a lot of people then insinuated that he's a guest star on the HBO show The Righteous Gemstones, which, hey, he could fit in. But you know what? It made a, it made a statement, I think. And so if you're going to dress up, uh, wear something that uh, people are going to remember from draft night, and he certainly did that. But what about the fit of him going to Toronto and going number 13 overall? Yeah, I, I was actually, you know, surprised at, at just Grady being there at 13. I thought he was going to go probably a little bit higher. Um, you know, there were some teams ahead that were identifying shooting, like the Orlando Magic, who who went with Jet Howard, um, which I that was a big surprise right away uh, with, with Jet getting selected at 11. Um, and then Grady goes a couple picks after that. But good fit all in all and just Toronto, you know, wanting to identify shooting and size, and Grady provides that. Uh, Grady was, in my opinion, the best shooter in the draft. Um, I think it's between him and Jordan Hawkins, um, who we took right after Grady. And uh, those two guys um, were elite all year shooting the ball. Grady finished 40% from three as a freshman, true freshman at Kansas in the Big 12. Uh, I think he shot 44% from the field as well. So had a great freshman year. Um, very athletic. Um, was a terrific high school player, too. Um, great scorer. I think he can do a couple other things uh, well in terms of what he might be able to project in a two- to three-year window, and he's young. Uh, so that's the biggest thing with some of these guys is you get them young, they have an identifiable skill that gets them on an NBA floor, and he's got size, and I think he's a sneaky athlete just from a verticality standpoint. I think he can really elevate off the floor. I like his confidence. Absolutely. I mean, you wear the ruby red and you, you pay homage to Dorothy in Kansas. You know, you, you got some confidence to you and some swag to you. So, um, you know, he's a tough kid too. I You know, talking about uh, Christian Brown uh, a couple weeks ago and just Christian Brown has a toughness that is more outward. You know, he's got an edge. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He kind of plays angry 
Um, with with Grady, I think that's inside him. I think he has that that same mentality. Uh, it's just not necessarily you know being worn on on his sleeves, if you will. It's it's more internal. But he plays that that same way. Um, different caliber athlete with Christian Brown to Grady Dick, but Grady Dick has more size and and just the shooting component and what his upside is is pretty real. So the fact he's in the lottery, um, you know what a, what a great thing for Kansas too to identify a one and done and get 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 him selected in the lottery. And again, like I said, I, I thought he actually was going to be pretty higher than that, than than where he fell to thirteen. But Toronto gets a shooter um, and a guy that they can can really implement right away and, and play right away uh, as a rookie, which is what you want if you're Grady. I know you hate when I when I do this, but is there is there a reasonably good comp for him on on what type of pro he could be uh, at the NBA level? Yeah, I mean, I you know I think it it all depends on what what you would identify from a comp uh, perspective of what he is now to what he could be and. There's some chatter, you know, could he develop into more of like a, a Gordon Hayward type where he could add more to his game. Uh, but I think Kyle Korver is a good name uh, of just a guy that can can make shots, spread the floor, um, really good shot That's IQ. That's a hell of a shooter right That's there. A, it's a great shooter, an elite shooter. Um, you know, Bogdanovich, uh, you know, I, I think has a little bit more to his game. He gets some some Bogdanovich comps to him a little bit uh, and just what, what he could be um, in terms of adding more to his game, not just being solely a shooter. Which I do think there is more to his game. I, I, I don't expect Grady to just be a catch-and-shoot spot-up guy. I expect him to be able to be put in different actions and over time put the ball on the floor. He showed a mid-range game. Um, he's got to get better downhill to the rim, uh, finishing, uh, being more on balance. A lot of that will come with strength and development and just mat- maturing and filling into his body. Um, but, I mean, mentality-wise, confidence, I think he does have a, a high IQ. I think most importantly, and I think Coach Self would tell you this too, he got so much better defensively, and I think there is still so much more for him to improve upon defensively. But where he was in October, you know, from a defensive standpoint, and what the teaching was going into the year to where he ended up being by the end of the year, he was a reliable defender. Where he his motor and, and his effort level was so high, and his activity was high. He had some good rebounding games. Uh, I think he averaged close to five five and a half rebounds per game. But he had some good rebounding games towards the end of the year, um, where you really saw him have more of, a, of an understanding of the speed, the physicality, um, understanding you know where the ball might be and being in the right place at the right time. And a lot of that is just IQ and feel and, and growth. And that's something you saw from Grady as the year went on that I think bodes well for him, for him translating because he's going to have to not just be a shot maker. He does have an elite skill that gets him on the floor, but then how does his career develop? And, and you got to add more to your, your game to, to really stick. So Grady, uh, Grady Dick goes number 13 overall to the Toronto Raptors. Uh, let's move uh, ahead in the in the first round. Number thirty overall to the Clippers, Adam Azu, Kobe Brown, and so this was. I mean, there. Uh, look, when he when he was debating whether or not to come back, I think there were some Mizzou fans who were hoping that he would come back for one more year because it it felt like the decision was okay. Do I come back, still make some good money at Mizzou through NIL, or do I go into the NBA draft? And and hopefully get drafted in the second half of the second round because mm-hmm. that's a legitimate decision there. Absolutely. Like if we'd have known he was a first round pick, there was no decision there. Mm-hmm. And he ends up number thirty, a first round pick, two years guaranteed, where he's going to make a little bit over four million dollars, and that's huge. And then he got club options for three and four, and so it was a great decision. But were you surprised at all that he found his way into the first round? A uh, little surprised, but. You know, I, I know Kobe said this, and, and his agents, you know, were, were very vocal about him, 
you know, having a possibility of getting into the late first. Um, I think it all depends on, you know, it only takes one team. That's the, that's the reminder uh, in this situation is, is if one team likes you, they're, they're going to take you high. And throughout the draft, too, uh, in this specific draft, and there's always some surprises, but it felt like there were quite a few of, of players that you thought, man, that's pretty high, or players that fell that you thought, man, that's, that's not at all where I expected him to be. Um, and there was quite a few guys that fell into this. Uh, so it was a very, you know, I wouldn't say unique draft, but it was just different than, than the three years prior. In terms of my, my years with the Pelicans, it was definitely a draft that had a, just a lot of, you know, shake up and a lot of the guys that fell and, and guys that were, were were elevated. But Kobe was probably in that late first, early second, mid second. His range was pretty broad. Um, I think it depends on what teams you would ask. Uh, but for him, great fit in, in L.A. with the Clippers. Uh, he improved his game so much from a, a three-point shooting percentage. Uh, obviously one of the best players in the SEC, first-team all-SEC player, um, old school, stayed in, stayed in college all four years at Mizzou, improved, uh, went through a coaching change. Uh, I think he fits a, an NBA type of role because from a mentality standpoint, he probably not, isn't most comfortable being the guy. He had to be the guy. He had to be aggressive uh, this year for Mizzou because he was their best player, and I think he, he did that and accomplished that. But he goes back in the NBA. It's going to be a little bit different in terms of the role he will play. He's got to be able to shoot the ball, and he proved that. I mean, what was it, forty six percent from three on on something like three attempts per game? Uh, that's that's good volume for a guy that had a versatile skill set too, Stephen. Like a guy that could put the ball on the floor. Obviously, his his strength and frame is what is very intriguing about him at the NBA because the game is so physical now, and you need versatility of guys that might be able to play the four or maybe some small ball five or maybe the three. Um, and Kobe's probably best suited as a four, but if he continues to shoot the ball well, he could maybe open up you know more of a versatility where he could play in some smaller lineups or be able to be trusted you know in a different position. But uh, great rebounder, team defender, physical guy. I'm gonna embrace whatever role is given to him. Um, and it's it's a great opportunity for him in LA to to get his career started. And like like you said, when you're in a first round conversation, you have way more of an opportunity uh, to have a longer leash of you're going to get multiple chances to really prove yourself. And clearly they see him as a guy that can come right in and help off their bench, be in their second unit, uh, and be able to maybe produce right away for LA. Okay, so, so try to explain this to me. And I guess give me the perspective of an NBA scout, right? You talked about his improved shooting. He's a four-year guy. From three-point uh, land, he shot 25% his freshman year, 25% year two, 20% year three, and then 45.5% year four. Yep. 20% to 45%. And the volume went up. Mm -hmm. He averaged 2.5 uh, three-point attempts a game his first two years, 2.1 his third year than 3.3 is last year. When you're looking at this, is is there at least a fear like, man, that's such a big jump. That could be flukish. Is this is that real? Because like you don't you don't see that kind of a jump. Yeah. Especially when the, usually then the volume goes way down. Right. You don't see that kind of jump with the volume increasing. And so if it's not a fluke, how how in the hell did that how do they do that? How does that happen? To a guy, because you don't see that, especially from a guy that's been there four years. Yeah, it, so it's eyes, ears, and numbers is kind of how I would say it. So with with your eyes, it's what you're seeing. You know, when you go to games, you watch practices, uh, you you study film. It's what you're seeing, uh, the visual part of his improvement in those areas. 
then it's you know what you're hearing. You know what are what are coaches saying um, in terms of what the work he's putting in, um, how they believe in his shooting, maybe the different actions they're putting him in, where he's most comfortable. Um, you know areas that maybe were untapped. You know, especially with a coaching change, things that may, they maybe identified that maybe the previous regime didn't identify uh, in his development. So um, that part of it, and then it's the numbers piece, the analytics part of it, uh, that tells a big story. But you you can't just go off the numbers. You got to really understand, you know, the player and how that orchestrates translating from college to the NBA. Because there's so many guys that have a specific role in college as the best player. It's almost like going from high school to college, right? You're the best player on your high school team. You know, then you go to college and it's wait a second I'm not the best guy I don't have the ball in my hands how do I how do I survive right and and that to me is kind of where you see Kobe's evolution and where maybe he might be able to make even a bigger jump to, to the NBA game of just going back to where I think his role is most comfortable but in terms of just his development as a shooter I mean he shot 60 percent from the field too so it's not just the fact he was making threes it's just the fact that he was so efficient uh, around the rim and making tough buckets and finishing through physicality getting to the free throw line and sticking free throws like he just took a big jump and it I feel like it all came together and you give Kobe a lot of the credit because it comes from the work ethic it comes to staying locked into he didn't run you know to a different program he wasn't trying to get patted on the back and and told how great he was he knew he had to improve in specific areas he had the physicality he had the body he had the frame he had the athleticism he just had to put it all together and he did that and then you got to give Dennis Gates and his staff a lot of credit, too, of identifying what he needed. And that, to me, was a lot of just belief in him, a lot of that confidence needing to take a step forward. Uh, and if you, you know, going to a Mizzou practice in the fall and hearing Coach Gates talk to Kobe and stopping practice, and the only time he would stop for, for, for Kobe Brown specifically was shoot the ball, be aggressive, or I don't hear you. You need to be talking more because if Kobe talked more, his energy level and, you know, just the fire would be there more often. And then you saw that in game. So it's so much about just development in all different facets because player development is kind of a broad term. Uh, every player development program for each player has to look different. It has to be geared and strategic to what that player needs. And I think from the player's side, it's, it's, a, it's a give and take. The player has to be engaged. It's a 50-50, almost 100-100 type of situation where the coaches and the player have to be on the same page. And you have the year that Kobe Brown had and how I think every Mizzou fan viewed Kobe Brown of, of this could be him for us. Um, and he took that big step forward and it helped Mizzou get to the NCAA tournament. And I think big reason they won an NCAA tournament game, that Utah State game, Kobe Brown was excellent and really put Mizzou on, on his back to, to carry them to a win, which he had to do. Right, let's move on to the second round. Back-to-back -back picks of interest. The Thunder with the 50th overall pick. Draft Keontae Johnson out of K-State. And then the next pick, number 51, the Nets take Jalen Wilson out of uh, Kansas. Let's start with Keontae Johnson. Look, that, that's a great story. And for him even to come back and play at the level he did at Kansas State, that was awesome. That was awesome. Absolutely. But now he works his way into being a draft pick. Uh, and having a chance to have a career in the NBA. And I know that you love the player and the mm -hmm, person, mm -hmm. and so I know you were happy to see him get drafted, right? I was, and, you know, I, with both those guys, a little bit surprising uh, that they fell where they fell. With Keontae, it was a little probably different of, of why he was where he was. Um, a lot of that pertains to just the medical. Um, but in terms of his production and his efficiency, and, I mean, we just talked about Kobe's frame. I mean, Keontae is just chiseled strong. 
great athlete, a great IQ. Keontae is very smart, like understands the game at a very high level. Um, it is not an easy thing to sit out almost two years, um, pass up, you know, an, an insurance policy at the University of Florida to, to really keep your career hopes alive when there was still so much unknown. And another credit to the coaching staff of at Kansas State with Jerome Tang, Wanting to identify a veteran, uh, an older player, experienced player, a leader, and they found that in Keontae Johnson, and they were able to bring him to Manhattan. And the rest speaks for itself. The the K State year that they had, and Marquise Noel is a big part of this. We'll talk about him in a minute. But Keontae was the 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 guy for them all year. I mean, they they didn't go anywhere unless Keontae Johnson uh, played at a high level, and he did all year. He was consistent across the board. Uh, shot the ball so well from three. Um, another guy that was was great through contact, I think got better as a defender. That was a big area uh, of, I think, uh, just growth and, and something he needed to prove this year was being able to defend, being trusted on the defensive end. Um, but offensively, uh, his ability to move without the ball, his ability to play on the block, his ability to take the ball off the bounce, um, drive closeouts, spot up threes. Uh, you saw his mid-range game, being able to, to play off the bounce and, 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 and mismatch situations and he showed his versatility. Uh, Oklahoma City gets a great pick here because it's it's a value pick at, at fifty. Uh, it's it's probably someone most teams had higher um, and fell kind of similar to Cam Whitmore falling because of medical, um, who was a top five talent that fell to twenty, I believe. Uh, kind of similar to Keontae. I'm sure teams had a higher grade on him. Uh, we specifically did as 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 well, my, myself included. And uh, for Keontae to to fall, probably more based on medical. But again, uh, a great story, and that the story to me is still being written because, you know, I I think he's going to a place that is a young team, a emerging team in the West. Team's got a ton of talent around Shea Gilgis, Gilgis Alexander. Uh, it's had three great drafts where they've selected somewhat like ten players, eleven players over the last three years that make up quite a bit of their roster. So they're very young. And he fits in, and you know he's going to have to find his role uh, in terms of coming off the bench, and and he'll have to have a, a you know strong summer league and a strong training camp. But you know a guy that will be probably on a two way contract and be back and forth, and will have every opportunity uh, to to make the case of of him being in their second unit or just being on the end of that bench, have an opportunity to possibly play a little bit um, and 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 start his NBA career on a good note. But um, it's all about opportunity, and he goes to a team that's young that that might be able to give him that opportunity. And then you got Jalen Wilson, who, uh, again, going number 51 to the Nets. I think that surprised the people that he fell that far. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, and I I think a good comparison, just um, the profile to Kobe Brown. Yeah. Maybe a guy that doesn't, doesn't have this high ceiling like some of the 18- and 19-year-old kids that uh, NBA scouts and NBA teams can dream on, but a guy that is equipped to come in and help and be uh, an asset off the bench that had a lot of experience in college basketball that could bring in maturity and the ability to, to help a team in a number of different ways. Yeah, Big 12 Player of the Year, um, national champion, um, another guy that stayed in school and, and went back to Kansas after having a great combine the year prior and a great pre-draft process and interviewed so well, and, and there was a strong case that he would stay in the draft the year prior uh, and be a second-round pick, and take a two-way and, and be in a good spot. And I, I think what that uncovered last uh, last spring and, and really the last combine period was that if he goes back to Kansas, and, and NIL makes this this a different conversation, you know, now guys going back, 
um, there's a reason they go back. It's, 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 it's a smart decision from just the financial part of it. And then the role and being, you know, going back to Kansas and, and being the number one option and something that Jalen didn't have is his years prior at Kansas. He was more of a role guy, huge part of why they won a national championship as a defender, as a rebounder, multi-positional defender, uh, and a guy that can make a spot shot and drive a closeout and play athletically. Different role this year, and he showed more off the bounce. He sure, I mean, he, the shooting piece kind of fell off towards the end of the year. I think he finished 33%, and I remember at one point in the year he was up at 38 39%, and I was probably first of the year in January, mid-January, late February. It, it, he fell off towards the end of the year. A lot of that is just wear and tear. He was the number one option. He's playing 33 minutes, 34 minutes a night. Um, he's got to be an aggressive physical defender. He's got to be a great rebounder. He's got to do so much for that Kansas team where I, I think that's a lot, a lot on, on someone's shoulders. And, you know, Ochai was more of a, a scorer. He, he was a shooter. And although he was a great defender himself, he could focus more on the offensive end. And then you had Jalen Wilson and Christian Brown defending a lot of teams' best players. So it, it helped Ochai a little bit just to keep his legs um, towards January, February, especially March when they needed Ochai in the NCAA tournament on that national championship run. So um, Jalen just – a lot on his shoulders for, for the season he had, and he had a great year. 20-point-per-game scorer, eight rebounds per game. Uh, still had a, a solid year. The, the numbers and the efficiency probably aren't as high as he would want. Um, didn't have a great combine. I think that was a part of the reason that, that he fell, which I would probably push back on just because he had such a great combine process the year prior. And, look, it's, it's no joke to be Big 12 Player of the Year. The, the Big 12 is a great league. It's a physical league. Uh, great teams in that league. And... Jalen Wilson's at the top of the scouting report, and he's taken you know shot after shot, night in, night out, and had a, had a terrific year and a productive year. So I think Brooklyn gets a great pick there at 51. I thought Jalen would go much higher. Uh, I think most, most scouts would say that too. Um, but with the second round being what it was and the way it panned out, it was very clear that the names that were going ahead of Jalen Wilson – were younger guys that were developmental plays that were long-term projections of guys that, yeah, highly talented coming out of high school, maybe shooters, positional size, guys that you could maybe mold, uh, put on a two-way and develop. And and Jalen's more of that older guy that's going to have to make it on a two-way, play well in the G League, uh, and hopefully get an opportunity where he could fulfill a role coming off the bench, which I think is going to be his role. He'll have to shoot it well. It's going to come down to his shooting but he can rebound the basketball. He's a smart, tough, physical kid, knows who he is, uh, knows what is going to be asked of him, and I think that always bodes bodes well for a guy that's older and a benefit to getting an older guy is they're not coming in with any false aspirations of who, who they are going to be in the NBA. They're not looking at themselves as a starter or someone that's going to be in a multi-year all-star. They're looking at it as, I'm going to come in, come off the bench, I'm going to make shots on a second unit, Maybe I'll play 15 minutes or 18 minutes, or maybe it's five minutes, and I got to give my best self in those minutes. And Jalen Wilson, I think, will do that because he's proven it before. That's what he did his first few years at Kansas and what he did when he was a uh, part of that national championship team as well at Kansas. But, you know, it's interesting because um, sometimes you'll see the NBA can be a copycat league. Yep. All, all leagues are. Yep. And, you know, what, what did we hear about for like a month straight about the Miami Heat, you know, and the way they built their roster? You know, they've got second-round picks and undrafted guys, but they fit the culture. Mm -hmm. And that's what they always say in Miami. They fit their roles. They understood uh, the roster building and the team concept. They had their superstar on Jimmy Butler. They have Bam. And then they, you know, Tyler Hero. And then they they built around that. It just seems to me 
like some NBA teams get so caught up in the ceiling and the what a player could be that sometimes they'll step over what a player is, like a Kobe Brown, like a Jalen Wilson. Because I think we'll both agree there were some players that were taken ahead of Jalen Wilson. You're like, yeah, no what? question. Why? What? And so, and then maybe like in a couple of years, those teams will look back or those fans of those teams will look back. Like, oh, why didn't, why, why was he available in the second round? How many guys do you say that about right now in the NBA? Like, how in the hell did he end up a second uh, round pick? Yeah. Because teams yep. fall in love with the what ifs yep. and instead of the what is. Yep. And, and I say this a lot. I think I say this every year when we talk about the draft, when it gets start to draft time and it, you get the question of, is this a good draft? And I, every year, every single year, there's whether it's at the top of the draft, there's going to be guys that make it. There's going to be guys that fail, and there's going to be guys that fail in the life. If you go back and look at past drafts over the last five years, there's going to be some guys that are in the top 14 that, that fail. There's going to be some guys that end up being multi-year starters. Some of them could be all-stars. You know that you just never know. How, but then there's always drafts where you see someone in the 40s or you see someone in the 30s that are significant contributors or role players or and sometimes starters that we've seen in the NBA playoffs that Jimmy Butler was was the 30th pick with the Bulls you know back in the day and Kobe Brown's 30th you know to, to the Clippers so you just the, the number associated with the player in the draft it, I always say like after the draft it doesn't really matter where you're picked the money part of it makes that you know what it is right if you're in the top 14 you're you're allotted to this specific number if you're late first, if you're second, is it guaranteed? Uh, are you on the two-way contract or the E10? Are you undrafted um, going to summer league on a summer league camp invite? That That's different. But at the end of the day, like you, you see guys make it through, and the Miami Heat are a perfect example of this, of guys that go to summer league, they're not on any sort of deal, and now they're on a three-way deal playing in the NBA Finals. You know, your, your career starts now at the NBA level, whether you're, eight, whether you're 19 years old, and you're a developmental prospect, or you're 22, 23 years old, and you're a four-year guy, and you're labeled as not having a lot of upside. Well, Jimmy Butler didn't wasn't labeled with a ton of upside when he left Marquette. You know, you look at his numbers at Marquette; he played three years there and developed totally into the player he is today. Um, over the course of many years and different coaches and different systems and playing different with different organizations, now he's a player he is now. So. It all depends on where guys go from here, and that's across the board with, with this. And this was a good draft. There's no question. Going into it, we knew this was going to be a good draft, not just at the top. There was a lot of value in that first round, and I think the way the draft played out, there are a lot of guys in the second round, mid to late, that you're thinking, man, some teams got some steals late. Um, and some of these guys I was hoping were going to fall out of the draft. Trace Jackson Davis, for one, Almost. who was – a, a elite, elite player in the Big Ten, one of the best college bigs uh, out there, athletic five, un, a little bit undersized, but had a terrific year in the Big Ten, another great league. Um, and he falls all the way to the, the bottom of the second round in the 50s and actually put a tweet out uh, that says, I'll remember this. And this, that was around 47, 48, where I'm thinking, if he goes undrafted, every team's going to be after him from a two-way standpoint. So it just depends on you know, how, where, where we go from here and, and how players pan out after, after they leave the draft and how they develop. Okay, so we've referenced this. We're going to talk about this coming up because two of the local players signed two-way deals uh, with teams after the draft. You had Demoy Hodge out of Mizzou signing with the Lakers and then Marquise Noel out of K-State signing with the Toronto Raptors. So if you would, because we throw that around a, a lot and I'm not sure everyone has a, a, a full grasp of exactly what it is. So please 
uh, explain, give a uh, detailed explanation of what a two-way contract is and what that means for the player and what kind of door that opens up for them to potentially stick on an NBA roster. Yeah, so so the great thing about a two-way, uh, you, you get your allotted three. Each team now with the new CBA rules, you get three two-way contracts. Uh, and how it works is is if you're on a two-way contract, it's a flat rate. It's it's half the league's minimum salary. So you're you're and with that, you are considered rostered. What's that? What's the league minimum? League salary? minimum is probably around four fifty, um, <laughs> close to five hundred. Right. Yeah. So right. you're, you're living you're, right. Yeah. You're and, and that can the league minimum you you can operate. Every team's different in, in how they would view the the minimum, but it's it's usually right there between four fifty to five hundred. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, you're half that you're rostered, you're salaried, you're on the two-way contract and that allows you to go back and forth. So you can go to the G league, you can be called up to the NBA roster. It's great from just in terms of you want to be having that flexibility because if you're on a team that struggles with some injuries and all of a sudden you're being called up to fulfill a role and that's your opportunity, you're, you're going to be thrown in an NBA game. You might play 20 minutes. You, you might sit at the end of the bench for three, four games and then get called up. So it allows you to be rostered and move back and forth as opposed to if you weren't on the two-way contract and you're on an E10, um, you have to be called up to a 10-day uh, contract. So it just gives you the opportunity. It's a better chance for you to get to the NBA, to be on a roster, uh, and to hopefully you know getting on the floor to help prove yourself. Um, and I think the fact that you know, definitely with DeMoy Hodge and Marquise Noel, both were both were put on a two-way quickly. And some teams would say, man, we thought they might be on an E10. Um, and so the fact teams liked him that much to use one of their two-way contracts on, on DeMoy and on Marquise, I think speaks to how they were valued and how teams view them. DeMoy Hodge was excellent at Portsmouth, had some good games out there, interviewed really well. And then Marquise Noel at at uh, at summer or excuse me at uh, at the NBA Combine at the G League Elite Camp I should say, um, you know I thought he was a, a worthy of a call up and um, yeah, I think some teams maybe didn't vote for him to make sure he didn't get a call up because uh, they liked him so much and and wanted to keep him um, maybe in the in the realm for them getting a two way so he was very good at the Combine great passer um, and just as we we saw at Kansas State just plays with such a great energy plays so hard. Uh, relentlessly tough, um, can take all sorts of contact and play through contact, and his vision, passing, that's what he's going to be at the NBA. He's small. He's undersized. There's a lot to prove because he is one of the smaller guards. And and of those smaller guards, like uh, Tiger Campbell at UCLA, smaller guard, a little bit bigger than Marquise. You know, Tyree Appleby at Wake Forest um, is another guy um, that, that was in this conversation. Um, so they're, they're all at Kendrick Davis at Memphis. Like, these smaller point guards – there's always these smaller point guards that get kind of looped together. Some of them get put on two ways. Some of them get get put on E10s. You know, for us, it was Jose Alvarado uh, a few years ago. And now, you know, he's a rostered player on an NBA salary on a multi-year contract. And, you know, we got him on an E10, at, you know, out of the draft as undrafted. So, um, you just, you never know. It goes back to my point earlier of, of you just need an opportunity. And for Marquise and Des Moines, they're getting an opportunity on, on, the, on that two-way contract that I, I think really speaks to to what they might be able to bring an NBA franchise uh, over time. Um, and, you know, the, the Jose Alvarado example, like we went through an array of injuries. He gets on the floor and earns, you know, earns those minutes as a rookie, plays really well, uh, plays with an edge, plays with that level, plays with a total fearlessness. And most four-year guys, like Marquise Noel kind of is, is made like that. And he goes to Toronto. They've had great success with Fred Van Vliet. Fred had the same 
characteristics of Marquise. And Des Moines is a little different, and Des Moines' skill set is obviously 3 and D. Like, he fulfills. He's a great three-point shooter in catch and shoot. He's got elite hands defensively, uh, led the SEC in, in steals, broke the school record in steals, and jumped from the Horizon League to the SEC, increased all his numbers across the board. So in the same breath, we're talking about Kobe Brown and how much you know Dennis Gates deserves and his staff deserve credit. Same can be said for for what they did, um, you know, with Demoy Hodge, and I, I say, you know, the same thing with Jerome Tang and Marquise Noel, right? Marquise played totally different um, under under Jerome Tang, uh, and just the system, the style, and what they let Marquise do this year, and really what they what they tried to push him to do more of as a scorer, as a passer, be more aggressive uh, with with trying to find your offense. Marquise did that, and here they both are as two way contracts. So you know. We've talked about Kobe Brown and Demoy Hodge, and both of them, even though it wasn't as dramatic, if you look at the three-point shooting percentage for Demoy Hodge, it went up from like 30 and 33% to 40%. We talked about the dramatic increase for, for Kobe Brown. Correct me if I'm wrong, I don't, I don't think anyone looked at those two guys before last year and said, okay, those are two NBA players. Maybe on Kobe, maybe he'd get a chance, but certainly not a first-round pick. Dennis Gates and C.Y. Young and their staff come in, take those two guys, and in one year with them at Mizzou, because you have to combine not only the coaching staff, but now the facilities and everything else that Mizzou has to offer, and turn those two guys into NBA players. A first-round pick and a guy that gets a two-way deal. How, and I understand NIL is going to be the biggest factor for some kids, and how much money can you give me and everything else, but how powerful and how important of a tool is that for Dennis Gates and C.Y. Young on the recruiting trail, telling some kids, look, these two players were good basketball players, but one year with us, look at their development. We turn them into two NBA players. Just think we, what we can do with you in two or three or four years on campus. Mm-hmm. Is, is that, I mean, that's got to be used, right? That's got to be super impressive only one year and what they did as far as their shooting percentage, their all-around games, and turning them into NBA players. Yeah, no question. I, I think fans can get caught up in, you know, the the portal and NIL and, oh, my gosh, we're missing out on, on certain guys. Well, I mean, if you look back and you rewind the tape of Dennis Gates' first year um, going into the year, and it was Kobe Brown's back, who are these other guys? Um, a lot of these guys are mid-majors. Are we going to be competitive? They were picked – what, last or second to last in the SEC, they finished top four. Um, winning matters. I, I think that's very important. Like, uh, you talk to any coach from an NIL standpoint, you know, if, if you're winning and you're successful, the NIL dollars look much different. Uh, the same can be said for your development um, and your growth and your career and trying to be drafted and, you know, have a career in, in the NBA or playing professionally, whether it be in the NBA or overseas. Like, there's going to be guys that aren't drafted that maybe play in summer league that go overseas and make great money. Um, but those guys, if you come from winning programs and you come from a program where you see the growth and the evolution of a player and that development piece in one year, very difficult to do in one year, uh, and just the style of play uh, that Dennis Gates plays and Jerome Tang, for that that matter, of the, the offensive uh, flexibility, um, you know, allowing guys to be themselves, allowing guys to – there's that trust there. And sometimes it can be frustrated for fa- frustrating for fans, but a lot of times it, it bodes well when a guy can showcase their talent and be confident and believe in themselves. And 
you know, play through mistakes and play through slumps and not get pulled. And, you know, that, that to me speaks to the confidence level of Kobe was so different than what, what we saw from him in his first three years. He played with more fire, more energy. Um, he played like an alpha, which we've always wanted from Kobe Brown. And he did that. And I think that's going to bode well for him, for him at the next level because he's now felt that. He knows what it feels like to play with that level of urgency. And he did that for mo most of the year. And that's why he was where he was. And for Demoy, my gosh, I mean, making that jump to the SEC and to have that level of production that he had, um, you can't beat a shooter. And you can't be a guy that also just offends and, and has the activity and the quick hands that he has. I mean, he's He's like a you – know, I, I don't want to equate him to like a defensive back, but like just the way he uses his hands on and to get his hands on balls, whether it be deflections or poking balls away, like he just has a natural instinct to him that bodes so well. Um, and he's got that feel. And, and in terms of how he could translate as a shooter, I mean, playing off the ball and playing off of Nick Honor and playing off of Sean East and playing off of Kobe and playing out of pick and roll, like all those things were, were just on full display. And – this is something that I think Dennis Gates identified with Demoy long long before he signed him to to Mizzou, knowing the type of player Demoy was and what he was made of and his story and, and his ability to overcome adversity and just the love of the game and the passion for it and a worker and a guy that was, you know, never made an excuse and a guy that was highly coachable. Kobe was the same way, uh, for multiple coaches too, like staying in school and not transferring and believing in a new staff and being open to playing different ways and playing on the perimeter when he was a back to the basket big. And that's a lot on a player to adjust and play totally differently than what you played the year prior. And to see the growth um, that bodes well for coach Gates and, and Jerome Tang, same way, you know, Keontae was a great player, but getting Keontae to where he was Marquise Noel, Naquan Tomlin, who's coming back to school, who made a big jump this year. Who's, going to be a top option at Kansas State next year. I think Kansas State and Mizzou, these two local schools, for having first-year head coaches, have the years they had, and then to see where these guys ended up is pretty impressive. So the draft is over, but the work does not stop for an NBA scout. Now what's on the to-do list? You're going to be traveling quite a bit, aren't you? Yeah, so I go to Orlando tomorrow, and I'll be at the NBA Top 100 camp, and it's a, it's a great camp. It's uh, the top. It's a 25 class, so... Uh, Cooper Flag and Cameron Boozer and, and those guys. That's a great class, by the way. And, and they're going to be seniors next year. So it's more so looking ahead. It's your first opportunity. Uh, and some of these guys I saw a year prior, um, whether it be at the Geico Nationals or you know, Cameron Boozer was so good. He was playing in this last year. Uh, he was playing up because uh, he's such a talent. So And this would be the, the top 100? Top 100 players. Uh, yep, sen sen seniors to be. And then there's now the international component, too. Well, they will, they will bring okay. some international players in. And it's great for college coaches, too, because they're coming. It's, it's open to college coaches for recruiting. They've obviously been recruiting these guys for now several months, several years. Uh, so it's more so for them to, to kind of be seen, to, to, to you know, see the logo. They're, they're at games watching their guys. And it's a great opportunity for scouts to sit with those coaches. You're continuing to build those relationships and talk through, you know, what coaches are looking at and, and what they're trying to build um, going into next year. And it's, it's more of a relaxed setting for coaches to really kind of have those, those conversations with you. And, and then I'll go from there to, to Peach Jam, um, which is the EYBL Nike circuit. Uh, it's a great competitive AAU tournament. Uh, so you're seeing a lot of guys at that, uh, maybe different guys that weren't at the top 100 camp. Some guys you'll see again that were in the top 100 camp uh, that are really, from a summer standpoint, a lot of these top talents, they're everywhere. They're all over these events, and they're playing in the AAU circuit. And 
they're they're playing with USA basketball and so there's just a lot going on and then I'll go to summer league with our team I'll be out in Vegas for four or five days with our team seeing our guys uh, seeing our draft pick Jordan Hawkins play and 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 our, our two-way guys and e10 guys that we've signed um, so we'll We'll be busy, um, but it's it's a good busy all the way through really mid-July, uh, and then we'll shut it down after that. So just kind of getting a head start on, you know, classes to come and, and then seeing how our, our guys that we've selected, how they fare in Summer League. What's Summer League like? I mean, that yeah. seems like that's that's not, not just the, the games, but just who shows up to the games, and it's yeah. there's quite an atmosphere. It's great, and if, if, if you're a basketball fan, and I mean, you know, obviously Vegas is Vegas. It's it's a great event. Vegas is Vegas. Ve- <laughs> I can promise you that. <laughs> it's it's a. I mean, you know, I, I you you see a lot of times too, like dads that bring their their kids um, to to see. It's a great environment to 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 go to a game, and there's the Cox Pavilion and Thomas and Mac. You'll see players walk in the concourse. You'll you'll have great you know seats. You you go to the Cox Pavilion. You're in somewhat of a high school gym. Watching NBA teams, uh, a lot of NBA players will come support their teams, and it is a great event. Uh, and I, if you're a basketball fan, I highly recommend. And, and you have kids that are basketball fans, uh, it's a great summer trip uh, to go see some players. Um, it's 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 great for from my standpoint of you're around all other scouts, all other team executives. Uh, you know, all all teams are, are at NBA Summer League. Um, is, it, is it usually like sold out? I mean, have, is, there, is it hard to get tickets? Like, is it like uh, if someone's going to go out there? Like you mentioned that. Like, is it? At the beginning, it's it's not sold out. I mean, it, there there are good crowds. And, access and is pretty access reasonable. Access is reasonable. And, and you get, you know, great access in terms of, you know, you're seeing there's games going on all day, all, all night, and you can bounce gym to gym, and the ticket gets you access to literally two different venues. Um, That's a all, good idea. All, all within, all within the, the, the Thomas and Mack Center. And you're walking around the the concourse, and you know you might see Jerry West walking around. You might see Danny Ainge walking around. You know, I might see Bird walking around. I mean, it's it's great um, in terms of the access. Um, and you know, obviously, you'll you'll conduct interviews out there. And for for me too, I'll, I'll have specific teams I'll be covering because we do have a couple two way spots open. Um, so I'll work with our director of pro personnel and our other other scouts that. Uh, you know, looking to, to really hone in our roster and, and sign a couple guys um, from Summer League. That's that's the goal, and that's what a lot of teams will be doing is evaluating who uh, is on E10s or maybe they're they're even undrafted, just Summer League camp invites that you might want to elevate to your roster as a two-way. And then you're going to Italy. And then I'm going to Italy, Ooh, right. Honeymoon. Uh-huh. Then, then, then the honeymoon hits, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It'll be a nice little getaway, and I've never been – over overseas so um, my wife hasn't as as well so it'll be a great trip going over to Italy for 12 days and and getting that that time I'll miss you'll, you'll get a kick out of this I want to mention this I forgot to mention this on the show when you were on the uh, border patrol earlier this morning so I can't remember what day it was it was either Saturday or Sunday and I was upstairs and uh, my wife Susan was downstairs doing something in the kitchen doing some housework or whatever um, working on something and she, I, I could hear the, the uh, she likes, you know, when she's doing work around the house, I like to have music on real mm-hmm. loud. And it was, it was, you know, it didn't sound like the music normally she listened to because normally she's either some country music, you know, yep. or she's maybe a little hip hop here, whatever. And, variety, and, and, variety. And, and guess what she was listening to? Del Sutton. Del Sutton. <laughs> Del Sutton, a full CD of Del Sutton. I love it. The full she was, album. I like, she was, I like to listen to Jared's uh, father sing. That's great. Just and around so the house? Just, 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 you know, this, my house was filled with the music of Del Man. Sutton. 
This is my so childhood, like Susan. That. This is my childhood. Just listen to Del Sutton throughout the house all day, every day. Right. Yeah. I mean, he was crooning. He was putting, he was, you know, he's getting after it. He's getting after it. He's still writing music, and he's he's now, he's on Spotify. He's on all sorts of different sport, or different music outlets. And Del Sutton on Spotify. Del, Del Sutton on Spotify. Quick plug for, for Dad, yeah. So he's, I mean, he he's he's had some some voice issues right before my wedding. He had some allergy, you know, issues where, you know, he was in bad voice. And, like, when my dad's not in in good voice i'm sure you've dealt with this before like that's that's his like livelihood now he now was, he was good at the wedding yeah he was great at the wedding it's not i mean that was a, a answered prayer really that he was in in good health and why he won't he perform a, on this podcast i think he would perform on this podcast he performed says yes to that i think one time you, on when i came on this was a couple of years ago on border on the border patrol i think there was like dad's album in the background right. as, and like very soothing but into the segment live performance in studio on this podcast or something Absolutely. i don't know he'd do it he'd do it Breakfast casserole from that's, Ellen Sutton. Yeah. The, the Sutton that my, my parents will, will both both will be in helping well, out helping out the show. You have many travels ahead, so it's going to be a while before our next podcast. But uh, whether you like it or not, we will be back uh, with another round of House of Hustle podcast. I hope, hope you've enjoyed talking basketball. I love talking basketball with you, and we're going to work on having some guests and doing some different things uh, when we uh, when we come back after. Uh, a hiatus because I'll be traveling to Lake Tahoe and then I'll spend a week or so up in St. Joe. Uh, you're going all over the place. And then pretty soon we'll be talking about uh, college basketball right around the corner. And it is on. So thank you, of course, to our wonderful sponsors, Charlie Hustle. We couldn't do it without you. Uh, and Ben Messner, who we, we yes. literally couldn't do, uh, Sir, do it without him because we don't understand the equipment. So I, just, I don't know. <laughs> People ben, ask ben me makes about it run. Stuff. Ben makes it run. I talk into a microphone. Like I go to like different events that I work, and they ask me, "Can you set this up?" I go, "No, I can't." Sorry. Like you put a microphone in my range. Dumb, dumb will talk, and that's it. So Ben is our technical advisor and director. So uh, Jared, safe travels to you, Thank you sir. You and too. We'll be talking basketball uh, sooner than later. I'm sure. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, well, like you said, trying to get more guests on as uh, we get closer to, to next season. That's that's on the so many. Guys now are closing up shop with overseas and playing. You know, Michael Porter just won a national championship, or excuse me, an NBA championship. So we got to get some guys. Why we got to say that. I know. I, I, I it just. Like I was at a Mizzou event last night. Now I'm, I mean, I, I know. And I'm like, oh man, like it just kind of came out wrong there. I'm Maybe sorry. Dennis Gates will make that a true statement yeah. at some point in my but life. But no, it was. It, this is. Uh, it's been great to to host the show with you, and you know, I, I appreciate all your work and Ben as well, making this uh, making this happen and. Everybody at, at, at Charlie Hustle too to to put this together. It's been uh, been a great year of uh, of covering college and, and NBA and, and all things basketball. That's right. We talk basketball with Jared Sutton here on the House of Hustle. And remember, until the next episode, Kansas City is for hustlers.